once upon a time. Looks like she's gonna turn cold tomorrow. Yeah, you got that right. There was a salesman called Jerry Lundergaard. Okay, real good then. Who always dreamt of striking it rich. Wait, have you had a chance to think about that deal I was talking about, those 40 acres there in Wyzetta? Jerry, we're not gonna just give you $750,000. No, no, but see, I... <laughs> so, we all set on this thing then? You want your own wife kidnapped. Now, her dad, he's real well off. So, why don't you just ask him for the money? Hon? <laughs> Wade, it's Jerry. I don't know what to do. It's something hard, geez. It's terrible. But in a place called Fargo... Mr. Lundegaard, I'm a police officer. I'm not Brainerd, investigating some malfeasance. Anything can happen. How's Jean? Who's Jean? Ah! My wife. Oops! With all due respect, Jerry, I don't want you mucking this up. What the heck do you mean? No, Gene, no money. Who are you? Circumstances have changed, Jerry. What the heck do you mean? Blood has been shed, Jerry. Here's the second one. I want you to tell me what these fellas look like. Well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. Can you be any more specific? He wasn't circumcised. Jeez, that's a good lead. Yeah. From the creators of Barton Fink. I'm cooperating here. And there, there's no, uh... And Raising Arizona. What do you fellas got yourself mixed up in? Oh, jeez. You're there in 30 minutes where I find you, Jerry, and I shoot you, and I shoot your wife, and I shoot all your little children, and I shoot them all in the back of the little heads. You got it? You should see the other guy. Oh, jeez. Fargo. End of story. You rank mustaches. You gotta put Bert's up pretty high. Bert pretty Tom. high. Bert and Tom have the number one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, forgive me. Yeah, yeah. That is a <laughs> that is a tough battle. If you're gonna go between those two. Uh huh. Selleck and Reynolds. Yeah. Ooh. After that was Trebek's pre- prior. Drew yeah. Had a mustache. But probably. that's come and gone. I guess Tom's is. I guess all theirs have come and gone. Really. Yeah. I think they've all made choices. That I don't know. I feel like. Well, I guess yeah. Bert and Tom both stuck with it pretty, pretty consistently for a while. Yeah. And then they kind of Bert kind of went with a beard. Yes, like as not, he got not, older, not he... like big growth, but beardy. Yeah, and uh, and then Tom got rid of the mustache, but I think he brings it back whenever he feels. He's like He's got it now. Does he have it now? I think he's got Did a goatee him? for Blue Bloods. Oh, that's right, the Blue Bloods. Yeah, yeah, he's a goatee man. I don't watch that show, but yeah, you say that. But it's Selleck back on CBS. That's all I care about. I know. Thank God he's back after Evening Shade. Is that right? No, uh, that, no, that was Bert. Bert. That was Bert. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. I get it. I get everything wrong. <clears throat> well, with all this mustache discussion, <laughs> let's get to our show. Welcome to Reconsinimation. I'm John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And this is the show that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we're checking out how they hold up today. And we are continuing and actually concluding our 90s winter wonderland, which we've been running since since 2020. Kicked it off. That's right. Uh, Another great film. Uh, uh, that takes place in winter. Mm-hmm. Also, that's, that's one rule of Winter Wonderland. <laughs> also filmed and released in the nineties. Mm-hmm. That uh, that that's our criteria. 
there's a ton of them out there, but we pick four special ones, and I think we're ending things on a pretty good note. Yeah, I think it's uh, maybe a high note. It's um, could be. Yeah. Let's. I mean, once we dive in, we'll find out. Yeah, it's kind of a like a parenthesis of the kind of movie that we are we're doing. We started off That's with a true. simple plan. True. Yeah. Simple plan. Cliffhanger, mm-hmm. which was a great show. Yeah. Uh, Grumpy old men. That came next. And now, Fargo. Fargo, the Coen brothers. The Coen brothers. So much, so much to say about them. They're making their first appearance on the show. Yeah, really. Yeah, Those are and first Coen brothers. One of the first of many. We we plan to do more with because in our time frame that we have laid out for this show, like which is fifty years. Which now I'm I'm going to call the late sixties through very early two thousand. Oh, I thought you meant <laughs> how long our show is going to go. Oh no, uh, for yeah. the next 50 infinity. Years. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Long after we're dead. <laughs> yeah. our, our kids kids will be doing the show. No, we'll be doing it <laughs> from beyond. Oh, I see. Yeah. Fair enough. Which is outer space because that's where you go and you die, right? You go to you just right past the moon. Yeah. So there might be an echo effect, but. And we might sound cold. <laughs> might, might sound cold. You might feel cold. <laughs> yeah. But we'll be talking about great movies still. Still. <laughs> from between the, the late 60s, 60s and early 2000s. Yeah. But you've got what? Blood Simple, Raising Arizona. Sure. Uh, Barton Fink, Miller's Crossing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Hudsucker, Fargo. Uh-huh. Yeah. Van Lebowski. True. Oh, brother. Uh-huh. Man Who Wasn't There. Yes. So we'll count like the first nine Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. So you, we won't do Intolerable Cruelty in 2003? Not unless we want to shit on it. Oh. <laughs> what about 2004's The Lady Killers? Same. Oh. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. We'll get to it. We'll, Macy uh, Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, J.K. Simmons. Yeah, Macy's not in that. Isn't he? I don't think Maybe so. I'm thinking of Simmons. You're thinking of uh, Marlon Wayans. Oh yeah, you're yeah. right. I always you get confused. confused the two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So '90s Winter Wonderland, continuing with the the legendary Cone Brothers uh, Fargo, and really how we got to this movie. So we were watching Grumpy Old Men, and Jack Lemmon plays a character named John Gustafson. Mm-hmm. And I was the whole time I'm watching him like Gustafson, Gustafson. There's there's another Gustafson somewhere out there in this wintry wonderland that we've been thinking about. And finally, it, it popped back in my memory. Wade Gustafson, who played by Harv, Harv Presnell mm-hmm. uh, in Fargo. Yeah. So there has to be a connection. There has to be a relationship there. There must be. Cousins? Cousins at least. Uh, maybe twins separated at birth. Could be, yeah. But um, also with the same last name. Yeah. Maybe coincidentally. Could be both adopted brothers. Yeah, maybe Wade is like a, a a you know strained relationship, so he moved to to uh, North Dakota, yeah. you know, separating from Minnesota just yeah. a little bit. That could be right. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So the Gustafsons. There's probably if you open up the phone book in the Midwest, though, a lot of Gustafsons. Probably. Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we like to think that maybe they're related. Yeah, and you know, so this obviously would would incorporate the grumpy old men cinematic universe mm-hmm. into the Cohen, the CCU, the Cohen cinematic universe. Right. So the, the GCU <laughs> merges into the CCU. CCU. Yeah. The Cohen cinematic universe. Yeah. The vast grumpy cinematic universe now has merged mm. corporate merger into the Cohen cinematic universe. And the Coens came first before the grumpy old men. So that's the prime universe. Well, no, that's not true. Wait, what? Well, the Coens did, but Fargo came just after. 
Oh, you're right. Just after. That's right. Grumpy in 1994. Three months uh, later. In that same year. No. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm thinking Grumpy. Grumpier yeah. came out in 96. We just did Grumpy All Men. Grumpy was Christmas 93. 93, that's so right. So about you know two two years and a few months later comes Fargo. So they decided to insert themselves knowing that there would be a Gustafson in the Coen Brothers movie. Maybe, maybe you know, in all our research, maybe we missed um, the fact that the Coen Brothers did a secret rewrite on uh, on Grumpy Old Men. Yeah, maybe. changed the main character's name <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that his rival constantly used to link to an upcoming movie that they had. <laughs> could be. Actually, they had written it by then. But it was that's true. While they were, they had uh, they had Fargo and Lebowski in the chamber while they were doing Hudsucker, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, We'll talk about it, but they quite often wrote a lot of their roles for specific actors, and for some of those, they needed to wait till that actor was available, which was the case of uh, of Fargo and Lebowski. Mm. Lebowski for uh, Jeff Bridges. Bridges not avail. Yeah, not avail. He's too busy doing Wild Bill. Wild Bill, legendary Wild Bill. That's about that guy with a gun. Steve. Bill. <laughs> oh <Wild>. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bill Hickok? <laughs> Never heard of him. Oh, okay. Me neither. <laughs> I'm just making up words. So why are we... But let's think back. Why Why are we looking at Fargo? I don't... I don't it's... <laughs> wait, that's <laughs> a question. Because I said so. Yeah, like, this is your idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, in the, in the pantheon, the expanding pantheon of the Coen Brothers films, mm-hmm. uh, which continues to grow almost every... It feels like... Almost every year they're putting out a movie, maybe every other year. One but... to two years, there's something with them going Yeah. On. Yeah. And they're like involved in writing and producing more and more things. So, yeah. you know, uh, it felt like to me that Fargo was kind of maybe getting a little bit forgotten along the way. Hmm. It was such a big movie for them. And so much has happened with them since. And then getting more Oscar recognition with No Country for Old Men. I think like. Some of the early stuff is kind of getting a little bit, little bit forgotten. So it's mm. time to take a look at it. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea. What was that? That's sorry, our, our guard a... dog. There's somebody trying to get into the studio oh. while we're recording. Get him, Rusty. <laughs> get him. <laughs> um, when was the first time? When was the first time you saw Fargo? What What do you think? I don't know. I I saw it in the early 2000s. I think. Uh... Probably. So not right away. You saw it. No. All. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even. I watched the Oscars that year. I was like, "What movie is that?" Okay, Francis McDorm. Who? Uh. So. <laughs> uh. No. Then I. Yeah. I don't know what. I just. It didn't come across my plate. But then I probably saw it with some college bros. My bros. Bro. A bro movie. Bro movie. It was like bro movie. We watched Goodfellas and then we popped the Fargo in. It was a whole thing. Um. Yeah, so I'd seen it, but I, I can't tell you when, where, how. Even if this is accurate, 2000. Was it the drugs? Yeah, the drugs cloud every everything. Yeah. The drugs were great. The movie, I don't remember. But uh, I was still working my way through uh, some some great cinema in those, those late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and uh, you know what? I probably, yeah, I saw Lebowski in theaters, and I think maybe it was like, oh, Fargo was also them. Because I think Lebowski was the first. I, well, I did. I did see Raising Arizona as a kid. Mm. Didn't really. 
I knew it was kind of weird and funny, but in a sense, but I didn't really understand it. Yeah. Obviously like, um, as, as much as I would today. And then, uh, but then saw Lebowski in theater. I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is great. Who are these people? Who are these guys? So my, you know, not paying attention to these guys and they were, they were very much under the radar. I mean, they were pretty much independent filmmakers yeah. the entire time. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Fargo was just like, Oh, well, everyone talks about it. And, it was such a universally uh, acclaimed film, more or less. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Oscar, big Oscar, grant the, granted some accolades. And, uh, yeah, so I just saw it eventually and um, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Yeah, it was the... I, I'm basically going to say it was the first Coen Brothers movie that I saw. I did, same as you, I did see Raising Arizona as a kid. Yeah. Um, but I remember, like, not paying attention. It yeah. was another, you know... Dad brought it home from from uh, Camel Video. Yeah, uh, was it Camel Video or Movies One? One of them. One Cam- of them. It might have been Movies call, One. At the call time. Call Camel One. See what they got on their records. Yeah, they're still there. If they don't um, have it, then it was the other. <laughs> guys, check your database. <laughs> Dude, 1987. 1987. Just look the whole year. Raising Arizona rentals. Look under the diner account. Yeah. I still have an open tab, right? <laughs> I owe how much? <laughs> what? Uh? Um, yeah, so my dad rented it. We watched it, but I, you know, I, I remember it being silly. Yeah. Um, I remember the end, like action sequence, more than anything. Yeah, same. but I don't. Yeah, like I didn't really remember the content of the movie that much. Yeah, um, and then for some reason, it was another movie. Like as a kid, I did not like that poster, and I. Stayed away from it. Some, sure, something Nic- about it. Nicholas Cage is off-putting in that look of his. And yeah, the, yeah, the poster itself. Um, I remember seeing it many times, like probably on HBO on a loop. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. Yeah, um, that feels like an, a late '80s HBO movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah. yeah, I didn't. Uh, so I I missed all the other uh, Coen Brothers movies because yes, they did kind of fly under the radar. They were very much in that early independent cinema you know, wave of the early nineties that we, we talked about when we talked about Tarantino and Reservoir yeah. Dogs. Um, so a lot of their movies like didn't Barton Fink, Miller's Crossing didn't get that big cinematic push that, that major releases would get Yeah, a lot of, a lot of indie credibility and respect and, uh, but, but not a big release uh, as some of the other ones. Hudsucker, proxy did get a big release and was a, a failure essentially yeah um but this was so so by 96 i was still in the whole you know blockbuster movie thing but this was uh, in the summer of 95 i had seen the usual suspects and ever since then i was like real kinda, movies yeah <laughs> dipping my toe in the indie movement a little bit sure and fargo was playing at a theater nearby um and I went with my friend Mark. We, Shout out! Yeah, we did. We saw Fargo. Went bowling afterwards, which was would have been more fitting for Lebowski, but sure. <laughs> uh, but and I I loved it. I mean, I was blown away by it, and mm-hmm. it was another like, you know, pushing me towards uh, the that '90s independent film movement. But yeah, um, yeah really, so much to I think to this day so much to love about this movie and how strong it is mm-hmm. but um so we're you know we're gonna get into it and let's uh okay and i've seen it many times since then many many times and three i my love for it has not decreased wow let's just say that much okay um coen brothers 
Who are they? Who are they? What do you know? Do you know anything about these guys? Joel and Ethan Cohen? Nope. Um, what do you got? Legends of the industry. Legends? Living legends right Living now? legends. Still going. Still very active. Yeah. Um, pumping out movies, uh, you know, as we said, every couple of years. I don't know if I've loved um, as much of their recent things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a, they're another guys that uh, the more they do them, kind of hot and cold. They've got a little more... Felt like in, inside Lewin Davis was a little more like experimental, mm-hmm. and um, I have not seen the most recent of them, Hail Caesar and and Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, yeah, I saw I, Hail Caesar. I was real excited about that one, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of I've heard almost nothing positive about it. I think there's a lot to like about it, but I think overall I can understand why it's a it's a little hard to to find the whole thing as a uh, beloved <laughs> yeah but uh, everyone in it it's, it's so interesting it's such a, it is kind of experimental too it's 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 weird it's a i need to a, watch it it's a throwback and uh to that era of hollywood and just even the way it's shot and uh it's sort of a its own celebration of of when the talkies were were getting big uh i don't know i really i i i enjoyed it for what it, for what it was mm-hmm. I, I have i don't have any issues with it I yeah but i you know I, but I, I'm sure if I were to like critique it, I'd have to watch it again to critique it. Yeah, like, really think well, about why. It's, yeah. yeah, but uh, I just sort of watched it as a like, oh, this looks different. Like, and it's Clooney. Like Clooney, he's fun. And and Clooney and Clooney, the Coen Brothers is oftentimes a, a, a good connection. That's Ace's baby. Yeah, uh, Channing's in it. Mister T- C. Oh, well, now himself. I gotta see it. C. Tate does does a wonderful job in it, and that's where I met. Uh, that wonderful uh, Alden Emmer or Aldenrich. What's his name? Alden- You're, is that Baby Driver guy? Alden Alden Ehrenrich. No, the guy who played Han Solo in the. Oh people. yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. He's the, in that. Yeah. So uh, that's I've never seen this guy, and he he's got a great. He's he's in a couple of scenes, but he's got one great scene. I think nice. he's fantastic. All right. Well, you sold me. Yeah. So go see well, Hill Caesar. Know, you know what? After this, let's shoot over to Video Tech and pick it up. See if they've got it. Yeah. All right. I'm Hard in. disk. Um, but the Coen brothers, born and raised in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Where's which that? Is, Where is that? Uh, it's in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Oh, oh, oh it's yeah. in Minnesota. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. U.S. <laughs> United States. Got it. Earth. Um, uh, their mother was an art historian. Their dad was an economist. Your mother was an art historian. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll keep talking. She I'm was. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop interrupting. She did weird things. <laughs> she... if that's what her job was. <laughs> Um, and we'll leave it at that. They uh, started uh, making their own Super 8 films at a really young age. They uh, would, uh, they were they were big into TV in their youth, and they would basically reenact what they would watch in whatever TV episodes of their favorite shows. So they would oh, make cool. their own versions of, like they would watch Lassie and then make a movie about their dog. <laughs> and, uh, That's you know, just kind of reenact it. So, but it was all, you know, all good experience and they're like learning it. Yeah. You learn by doing it and they're learning about lighting and That's pacing cool. and, you know, all the technical ins and outs of filmmaking. Um, Joel ended up going to NYU and then uh, UT Austin after that. Uh, Ethan went to Princeton, so these guys are, you know, they're smart. They're smart dudes. Um, they Joel got involved in independent and um, industrial films and commercials and, and that world and uh, ended up connecting with Sam Raimi and starting striking up a friendship with him. 
Joel is actually the, I think he's the assistant editor on the first Evil Dead movie. Oh, really? I could believe that. Oh, yeah. Neat. So, but that started kind of a funny little collaboration between Raimi and the Coen brothers mm-hmm. that I, I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard recently if they're still kind of like helping each other out, but definitely in their early films, there was a, a big connection. I think they lived together. If you, if you, if you get Evil Dead 2, let's say on Laserdisc, mm. maybe DVD, mm-hmm. uh, there's a director's commentary and in that Ramey and Bruce Campbell talk about apparently there was a house where all of them lived at one point or another, like one of those college houses uh, or yeah. right after college. Like there's like 10 people living in there and it yeah. was the Coen brothers and Francis McDormand and Ramey and Holly Hunter and mm-hmm. Bruce Campbell and I think Kathy, uh, Kathy Baker. Kathy Baker. Um, the actress Kathy Baker. But um, yeah, so they're all kind of like, you know, writing and, and helping each other out with auditions. And uh, a lot of, uh, I'd love to, you know, go back in time in the DeLorean and, and uh, just be a roommate with those guys. Yeah, I feel like maybe we mentioned that on our Simple Plan episode or we probably I think did. we did, yeah. which you can find in the archives, www.reconcinimation.com. Yeah, it was three episodes ago. Yeah, not even that far. Still <laughs> on page one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can see when you watch uh, Blood Simple, mm. which is their first uh, their first film. There's a lot of Sam Raimi shots in there. Oh yeah, you can tell it's like. Wonder if he was like either on the set that day or, you know, just they were just still like really intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that like those. You know, we talked about Raimi's typical shots, like especially in the Evil Dead movies. Those like you know really rushed like running the cameras like running towards an actor you know mm. um and they they use a couple of those shots in blood simple so mm. very ramey ish um but that yeah that was a, a strong collaboration uh, for those guys they ended up shooting a trailer for blood simple which was basically have you seen blood simple i haven't i'm sorry oh, get out david that's an you're, x. you're missing out but you, you just wrote an x down on your paper yep. that's a oh boy i hate when he does this every time i say something foolish or ignorant i wrote your name <laughs> dash kill <laughs> kill that's oh boy i gotta i'll write. send this guard dog that we now have in the studio <laughs> why is he right here <laughs> We He's, have, yeah, we well, have three different layers of security before you even get into this studio. I don't know. I don't know who's going to break in that far. He's the last line of defense. I know that's why I have my gun. You ever see GI Joe the gun. movie? You ever see GI Joe the movie? Sure, yeah. When they capture Serpentor and he's locked up, and mm. they have a whole like system that Cobra would have to break through to get Serpentor out, and it's like insane. Yeah, that's I duplicated that for our studio. Yeah. so everybody look that up. <laughs> Hopefully no one else has seen the movie. Otherwise, they'd know how to get in. Do they well, break in and get them out? I, no, I, no comment. If that happens, then there's, <laughs> things are fucked up. <laughs> um, but they ended, So they ended up shooting a, a trailer for, for Blood Simple, which is, I don't want to spoil it for you, but there's a very intense kind of Hitchcockian scene mm. on the side of a road mm. uh, that is actually essentially duplicated in Fargo. Um, mm. Uh, about dragging a body off of the road before an oncoming car approaches and would see them. Yeah. Uh, so they did this to raise funds for for Blood Simple, which they did. Blood Simple is a 
you know, a big success for them, uh, especially not even so much financially, but it got them out there and it got them great exposure and, and out into Hollywood. Yeah. Um, Raising Arizona, successful movie, hit, big hit for them, hit for Nicolas Cage. And then they kind of go the respect route instead of the, you know, monetary route with Bar- with uh, Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink and, um, you know, big films in the in the independent movement, uh, important films there at at a an interesting time in American cinema, mm-hmm. um, and they're you know just gaining clout among among viewers, even if it's not, you know, they're not um, they're not bo- major box office smashes. They're just uh, getting a cult status. Sure, they're what the kids are talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hudsucker Proxy comes along and it's their it's their next kind of big Warner Brothers you know studio release mm-hmm. um, and it is a bigger budget movie and is a not a huge I wouldn't say a huge failure but it was definitely a failure mm-hmm. um, and it kind of took them off track and before they really let it go too far they kind of went back to their roots which is what Fargo is and mm-hmm. really strong storytelling in their um less over the top kind of campy and silliness not silly but campiness yeah um and really get they get kind of grounded with this one mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. this is uh trying to counterbalance what didn't work with Hudsucker proxy hmm. well it, uh, this is this changed things for them this turned things around for them then right oh yeah this is uh and this was like this movie launched them into kind of the next level they were the next it it bros. Yeah, because it was it was a it was a box office hit, and you know it continued like yet another strong movie from theirs. They had one hiccup with Hudsucker, which Hudsucker is a great movie. It was just it just didn't do well. The year of Jurassic Park, like no. people were not going to see this strange, quirky movie with uh, you know I don't think Tim Robbins had cemented himself as a lead yet. Not until the following year with Shawshank. Sure, uh, would that happen? But. Um, well, that's not true. I mean, he had led movies before. He's, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It just didn't. It didn't take with audiences for one reason or another. I think the the humor in it was like too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you've seen Hudsucker's on your list. No, you no, haven't I, haven't, I haven't seen Hudsucker Proxy. Sorry. All right, so let's it's, run it down. You haven't seen Blood Simple. We're not doing this right now. But we right now we know I haven't seen those two, <laughs> but I have seen Fargo. So I'm two for one, one for two, one for three right now. You've seen the movie that we're currently talking about. Yes. That's the most important thing. At the very least of all of their films, I've seen this. <laughs> oh, I saw and I admit it's a Raising Arizona. I'm two, yeah. two and two right now. Yeah, and we won't talk about the other ones. Don't mention yeah. them. Without... <laughs> when I saw, oh yeah, I saw Hail Caesar, so I'm three and two. Well, there you go. And I haven't seen Hail Caesar, oh, so whoa, okay. you're one up on me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they shot the the they shot Fargo in the Minneapolis St. Paul area. Most of it, most of the interiors were shot there. Yeah. The really snowy exteriors. They had to go out into North Dakota uh, to shoot those scenes. Another kind of also similar to what happened with Simple Plan was mm. uh, Minnesota had a unusually you know warm winter. warm winter non wintry look. So gotta get it snowy. Yeah, and that's tough because you got to pick up an entire production and move it to you know a, another location, a different yeah. state, and then those logistics. I'll yeah, tell you, that's a whole thing. A lot of shipping, definitely a lot of driving, trucks, a lot of trucks, trucks, driving. yeah, 
But I, yeah, I've rewatching Fargo. Uh, it's there's so much snow in so many different places, and it's like it's all authentic. Like that packs oh, yeah. that. I mean, I'm sure they like had to like do some some set dressing of it, but like the the snow on top of that parking garage, it felt so like that felt like real snow. It like, felt like snow. It felt like real snow. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they had to. Who knows? I doubt they have snow machines up there. They can't afford that. They don't need snow machines. They I'm, just have it. They just have it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure they <laughs> get rid of those tire tracks for the second take and just do it again. Um. Yeah. Exactly. They just get the. I don't. The snow guy the out snow there. Snow guy and... with the big brush. He's got a brush. I, yeah. I assume a br- Yeah. Like a uh, paintbrush. A probably. snow flattener just... and a and a and a brush pusher. Let's just <laughs> let's create some snow gear and. <laughs> I'm sure that doesn't exist. Right? I check the credits. There's definitely a snow pusher. <laughs> snow pusher. <laughs> um, yeah. So the budget, a uh, seven million dollar budget, shot in minute. Cha-ching. Yeah. Look out. Uh, which is uh, pretty small, but you don't have any. You know, we're going to talk about the cast here. You don't have any really <clears throat> name name actors in it that are going to you know cost you a pretty penny. You don't right. have a. You don't have a Tom Cruise. You don't have a. Uh, who was big in the early '90s? Alec Baldwin. Well, it's the, it's the mid '90s now. Uh, Robert uh, De Niro, you know. William De Niro. Yeah, William. William. Is that what you said? No, I said <laughs> Robert. De Niro. I could have sworn you said William De Niro. <laughs> Bill, De, big Bill De Niro. Bill De Niro. That's all his friends call him Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like Billy Baldwin? Uh, yeah, it's well, like it, Bob De Niro's uh, little brother. Yeah, lesser known little brother. Yeah. Billy Baldwin. Yeah. <laughs> Roderick Baldwin. I call him Billy. Anyway. <clears throat> um, yeah, so not a huge, like, superstar cast. Yeah. You know, you're getting... You're getting... Especially well, at the time. Yeah. At yeah. the time. Yeah. These would be people that... Their careers would get even bigger after this one. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you let's just run it down. So you've got... I would say, even though she doesn't appear until uh, maybe a third of the way through the movie, mm-hmm. but I would say Frances McDormand leading the pack here. Right, she um, was was married to Joel Cohen already, but that's irrelevant. It's it's um, you know they knew her talents, yeah, and wrote actually wrote this role for her. Yeah, well <clears throat> she she was the star. She was one of the stars of Blood Simple, right? She starred in Blood Simple. She has a smaller role in Raising Arizona, and then she's got really tiny roles in yeah. their other movies, like you know either just a really small part or like a voiceover or you know yeah. voice on an answering machine like that that kind of oh, cool. that kind of stuff but she was in she also uh, was the lead in Dark Dark Man with Liam Neeson that's right which is a Sam Raimi movie right so more mm. connections there right but um yeah but her career kind of wasn't she was really just living in the independent film world mm-hmm. um it wasn't other than Dark Man, I think Dark Man was a failure for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, Raimi, her, Liam Neeson, it was a big, I think, had that been a big hit, which it would have been years later. It was a misunderstood movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that derailed her career from where it was going. Uh, so she, you know, this is a big opportunity for her, another lead role. Um, and she's, let's be honest. Frances is the queen. She's uh, okay. she's the best. And, <laughs> she's very good. Uh, we talked about her in Almost Famous. Probably not enough. Right. Yeah. Um, well, great. In, she's. I don't know if I've seen a bad performance from her. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. 
Right. And I think the movies she chooses are impactful movies for the most part. You don't really see her. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head of any kind of Hollywood, like doing it for the money kind of movies. They're all, uh, you know, strong roles and great performances from her. Mm-hmm. And this kind of, I think, really started that continuous loop. Whereas you had, you know, kind of a gap from Blood Simple and, and Raising Arizona. And then, then this hit, like almost 10 years later. Yeah. I mean, I think she did take a paycheck movie when she did Transformers, Dark of the oh, Moon. yep. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I take that back. She did, yes. Also starring John Turturro. Yeah. Another Cohen. Maybe, maybe Turturro. It's his fault. She yeah. did it. Well, Totoro did like all those Transformers yeah. movies, right? So he's like, "Come, come play." He's like, "Come, you're visiting me on the set anyway. On, just we'll, we'll throw you. Just do just it. Write a quick part for her. We could just throw, have her talk." But <laughs> and we, you know, we talked about it on Rushmore. That's why Owen Wilson did some of the acting roles that he did in the mid '90s. Because mm-hmm. you do a couple of those, that can you know those residuals pay for yeah you know whatever else. So, Absolutely. You know. All right. Fine. Francis, you can. She's do a it. sellout. <laughs> Your whole thesis is is destroyed. I forgot the one time she did. She's it. also an Eon Flux, apparently, which I don't know how big of a role that was. Probably not big, but uh, why not do a sci-fi movie? What, yeah, just throw the one kids out. love it. Yeah. Do the do one for the kids. But she really, there's really not many of those. Yeah, no, her. she's a, she's a she's an actress actor first. She's yeah, know, she's she's in this business for the for the art. Uh, not for the the business side of it. Yeah, you know. and then, as you see, with uh, multiple Best Actress uh, Oscars sitting on her bookshelf, holding up her books. I, yeah, I know right where they are. They are holding up books. <laughs> Their bookends. Well, once you get two, yeah. where do you put them? Put them on the end of end of books, end of book uh, stacks. Tom Hanks said that he uses one as a doorstop. I can believe that, and They're I heavy. don't think he was actually kidding. Yeah. They're they're heavy. Yeah, that's very useful. But which one, Philadelphia or Forrest Gump? I'm gonna go with Forrest Gump. You think? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think so. I'll go with that. How many does he have? Uh, seven, seventeen. Seventeen. I don't All know. Right, He's got a number of them. If you guys know how many uh, Oscars Tom Hanks has, give us a call. Call in one nine hundred nine zero nine ninety nine hundred. That's our hotline. There it is. Yep. Forty nine ninety nine. The first minute. <laughs> Exactly. 72.99 each additional minute. Yeah. So, so get your answer in. Get your parents permission. <laughs> Sorry, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so Francis uh you know just a great career path uh especially after this, but but sure. Amazing, you know, performance here. Kind of an iconic female character as well. Iconic character. Also female, <laughs> yeah. A iconic character that is also female. <laughs> let's uh, let's word it that way. But I th- I I know where your heart was. We have Hollywood uh, uh, likes to reward uh, the great character lists. A lot of yeah. a lot of male probably males uh, male characters that yeah. top those lists and, and everything. So I understand what you mean. We did we but did a whole a we did a whole double podcast uh, last year about it. The ladies, yeah, that we top female roles, and um, I don't think this one made the list. Francis, did we? Print? She was in there. Yeah. Did we do Francis? Fran- of course we did. Yeah, I know. Of yeah. course, yeah. Um, Go check it out on the, the website. Yeah, and I, you know, a lot of people view the Marge Marge character as a hero, like the Coen Brothers' first heroic character, who mm-hmm. is essentially 
like at their core good. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I would say she's a hero, but I mean I agree that like yeah, she's the um first probably the first non-flawed character. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, because you know, so many of them whether their intentions are good or they're doing something bad with without having bad intentions, mm-hmm. um, you know, like even even uh, Nicholas Cage in Raising Arizona, like you kind of love him, but mm-hmm. he is stealing someone else's baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a kidnapper. You know, and in Blood Simple, they're a, a couple who are having an affair and trying to, you know, get away from her husband. So, mm-hmm. you know, they. But this is a character who is. Got a solid life, a solid job, trying to do good, and there's nothing really between the lines there. And, you know, something like that is so, sort of viewed today as kind of a boring kind of a character, right? Like, you need you need some levels, you need some edges. Mm-hmm. The the only edge, edginess to her is really when she goes to see her old high school boyfriend, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, or where she kind of, like, draws some lines when he's getting weirdly personal yeah but like the fact like but she, you know she even she dolls she checks herself out she dolls herself up a little to go meet him you know not i don't think she was expecting anything major but she was like she wanted to make sure she could impress him like mm-hmm. who knows she clearly has some feelings that or you know some old feelings for him so i mean that's and then yeah then she's got to sort of deal with his sort of his weirdness and everything. Well, he uh, calls her, yeah, Mike Yanagita. That's a yeah. uh, Mike kind of a. I love that scene, like mm-hmm. just for their performances. But it is that scene is out of nowhere. I mean, it's a scene that you could cut out of the movie because it's really just mm-hmm. it's unrelated to anything. It's just character work for her. But um, but may but 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 if you took it out, would it be as a complete movie? No, I mean it, no. You're right. I think it, it's important that it's in, and, yeah, and it, yeah. because it's building her character again. But, yeah, it doesn't serve the rest of the story. Right. It doesn't. But, oh, that's what I mean. It doesn't. It doesn't relate to the plot of the movie. Yeah, but, like nothing that is introduced has anything to do with yeah the main story. But uh, yeah, a good opportunity for her to sort of. I said I was reading about the 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 idea like this is this is sort of like if this is supposed to be based on actual events. You know, you would have a scene like this because it is sort of something that would happen, you know, in life, you know, Mm -hmm. some detour into what you're really doing. Yeah. But then also the argument is like she she sees the cracks. She finally sees the cracks in people instead of like complete optimism. And -hmm. that seeing that crack realizes makes her realize, well, and then she has to go back and talk to Jerry. Yeah. Um, So I think I think it's unclear, but I think both both make the case that of why it belongs in there. Yeah, and Steve Park is great as Mike Yanagita. Yeah, and he call it's like he calls her in the middle, like really late at night, out of nowhere, having not seen her for like twenty years. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, you find out like he's just he's lost his wife and he's lonely and he's digging way back in his archives for someone who might or uh, once had some kind of interest in him. Yeah, it's fun. It, you know, it's sad. I know, and funny at the same time. But like you know, for it, without they don't show it, but it, you know, he said he saw her on the news, so it is sort of like this. Oh yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, you know, like for him that could have been a sign from the universe. Mm-hmm. You got to call her, you know. Yeah. And he's just he's so 
not the put together guy. Yeah, he's not having a good time. Yeah, a good life right now. And he lies to her as she finds out. He he lied to her about like what was going on. As mm-hmm. though he married his sweetheart and she died tragically. And yeah, it's just, no, he's kind of stalking her. Yeah, like, she she finds out later that he was sort of stalking this yeah. woman this whole time. So, uh, yeah, the the goodness that she was she wanted to believe she sees that not not everybody has that. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's and that's you know, and that's what really what comes back at the end with her her you know last scene in the movie where yeah. um, she can easily see that in people where they're you know where the cracks are, where the flaws are, where, what's wrong with people, and and she's just not that way, you know. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's sort of like she's a police officer, and she's the chief, and at some point. You know, it's not like she's naive, but it's certainly like no matter what she's seen as a as a cop, she still believes in people. And I still think she I don't think that's been shattered or anything by this whole event, but mm-hmm. uh, this story. But uh, maybe so, just a little more realism about human beings as she gets older, as she experiences more of these crazy crimes. I mean, how many people died in this movie? Like seven a lot like, i mean for for an area that probably sees very little like yeah. major crimes exactly and much less murders and death yeah um there's uh, yeah a, a whole a whole slew of people it's pretty messy yeah so i mean most of the cast so yeah but she yeah she does uh francis is is phenomenal in this um let's talk about william h macy so he yeah. he was one of the few you know major actors in this who actually auditioned for this role Hmm. Um, he auditioned for it. I think they liked him, but and he left the audition knowing like he had to have this part. He he'd been a character actor for I, about ten years previous to this, mm-hmm. and nothing really major. I remember him at the time as that chief doctor from ER, and he, uh, oh, yeah. another doctor in The Client, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he was on Spencer for Hire um, in the late eighties, a did. recurring. He did so much TV. Like he was just one off yeah. characters. Yeah. yeah. Like d- the definition of like a day player actor. Yeah. Um, and nothing had really taken yet. And he knew this character was his. He had to have it. So he then flew himself to another audition they were having in New York, crashed the audition, and like demanded the part. <laughs> wow. He like half jokingly he's like if i have to steal your dog i'll steal your dog <laughs> wow jeez <laughs> that's a good, that's one way to get apart <laughs> um so they uh, but i think they were going to you know i'm assuming that they were leaning towards him anyway but he just he needed this cemented yeah. and he's so great i mean this was the first really leading role that he had and um this started his essentially started his career mm-hmm. um wow that's weird to think i feel like he's always been around he has, but I mean, you know, your favorite movie, Air Force One. Yeah, I don't know if he would have had that part without Fargo. Probably not. Poor guy. And I when when I saw Air Force One, that was the thing that like annoyed me most about that movie because I loved Macy after yeah. Fargo. I was yeah. like, oh my god, I need to see every movie this guy's in. Yeah. And then he's in that and he gets killed. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Yeah, come on. Of course he dies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like... he's the, I think he's like the pilot of Air Force One. He's he... no, he's one of the staff. He might be, he might be, but he's one of the last people to get the president off. He's trying to get yeah. the president off the plane. And he's like, "You go first, yeah, then, or whatever." And then the president was going to give him the. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but he was like one of the good guys. Yeah, like, yeah. Sat, you know, and then it's like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> it's just shot. Like, 
and he's had such a great career since then i mean he's you know whether it's tv with shameless or just so many good movie roles and he also has done you know some some bigger movies like jurassic park 3 and sure um he's been kind of all over but another like always reliable actor yeah of course you're not going to get a bad performance out of william h macy no Home run every time. Always. Maybe not the movie, but him. He yeah. bring he brings it. I almost shared an elevator with him. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You Didn't, and Bill Macy? We passed each other. Okay. Here at the studio? Not when here. He was... No, years ago in Chicago when he was in he was in town doing Shameless. Is that where they shoot Shameless? The exteriors, yeah. Huh. They shoot it in uh, in Los Angeles though. They're on stage at uh I wanna say Oh right, yeah. Sony? Paramount? I think it is Sony. Sony, yeah. I think they um, shoot at Sony. Well, all of it doesn't matter. All of it is under the umbrella of Recon Cinema Studios. Right. We, we own all the other studios. <laughs> I hope you guys all have realized well, that by this point. That we're, we're trying. We don't have them all. Well, we own yet. Viacom, which owns Paramount, and so on and so forth. Is that canon now? We're in charge of all the, yeah. all the media companies. All right, fair enough. <laughs> we are the top of the food chain. Yeah. I will say that I um, prefer short hair William H. Macy to sure. to long hair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I could do without the long hair. You like a, a clean cut Macy. High and tight, you know, like, tight, sure. like like this and like 90s Macy. 90s Macy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. He had that same haircut. Um, you know what else he's good in is Wag the Dog. Oh, Wag the Dog. Yeah. Jeez, I haven't seen that forever. Wag the Dog and... Yeah. Uh, the uh, you know all the P.T. Anderson stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah, Boogie yeah. Nights and Magnolia, just great, great. Oh, Magnolia. Yeah, Magnolia. Ugh. That was almost we almost covered Magnolia a couple times. Almost. We'll get there. Um, let's talk Steve Buscemi. Who is this guy? Steve Buscemi. We talked about him on and Reservoir Dogs, but he. I mean, I kind of always thought of him as like the king of the indies in the nineties. Mm-hmm. He was in so many movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, geez, wow. Yeah, he's in a ton of movies. He's all over the place. A lot of that, I would say most of that has to do, uh, is because of Tarantino first and the Coen brothers second. Um, Reservoir Dogs was huge for his career. Yeah. Um, he did only have a small role in, in Pulp Fiction, but um, he also, that led to him being in, in Desperado with Robert Rodriguez. And um, the Coen brothers had him in small parts in Barton Fink and Miller's Crossing mm-hmm. and Hudsucker Proxy. Mm. I, would, I think, I want to say Hudsucker's the smallest because he's just a bartender in maybe two two scenes and a couple of shots. Okay. Um, but yeah, kind of, you know, small parts there, but they knew he's like part of their, you know, they built this ensemble of actors that would, would show up in not necessarily every movie, but they'd kind of come and go. And Buscemi is definitely part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was, this was his. You know, it's hard to say who the like exact lead of this movie is because it's kind of a three way between Francis Macy. I said three way. I don't think it's kind of like a triple threat from. <laughs> Francis. Everyone knows what you were going to say. <laughs> Francis uh, Macy and Buscemi, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, they all have their sort of competing storylines that intersect at certain points. Yeah. Really. But much larger role and opportunity for Buscemi. Yeah, he did really well. I like I, I find him very charming in this uh, despite I like I like he's not he's not such an asshole as compared to like Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Even though he acted the hell out of Reservoir Dogs 
And he, he's exactly, I mean, uh, yeah, he, he could was be great. a cousin to that, to Mr. Pink. Yeah. I would say, yeah. Like he's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, he can play a criminal element pretty, pretty well. All right. So now we'll connect Tarantino, Coen brothers and grumpy old men. Mm-hmm. So they're all part of the one universe. Now we just did it. Oh, wow. We just made it official. Didn't he have a Sopranos character? Buscemi? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's in. Throw that in there. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Directed one of their best episodes oh, that right. you haven't seen. <clears throat> we'll get there. Um, yeah, but he was, uh, you know, he's all over the place. He he was in uh, you know, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, a great movie called Living in Oblivion, mm-hmm. uh, where he's the direct, director. He a, plays a director who's trying to make this, like, low-budget movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a great movie. He's also in a movie called 20 Bucks with, that, that also has William H. Macy in it. Oh, I'd see that. Yeah, I think it's about like a twenty dollar bill, and as it passes from person to person, so there's a Ugh. lot of like small character, very like '90s indie movie. Sounds very yeah, film school indie. It, it's <laughs> almost indie. like that that feather from Forrest Gump. Right. You know? It just yeah, just wait. It was just at the end of the movie, wasn't it? Uh, it wasn't the beginning too. Was it? I haven't seen Forrest Gump in did a long it, did time. A feather Not land. a big fan of it anymore, but yeah. Technologically, it was very impressive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> he anyway, shook hands with JFK. <laughs> the uh, Coen brothers wrote this part, uh, Carl, you know, specifically for Buscemi, and yeah. he's, you know, fantastic in it. Um, Peter Stormare plays. How do you pronounce? Do you know how to pronounce his name? Ger, is it Ger? Uh, Ger Grismond. Ger Grismond. Yeah, I don't. I don't know exactly how. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, that's how I'm going to say it. You can tweet at me if I'm wrong, but. Um, he was uh, Peter Stormare was mostly a theatrical and a Swedish uh, actor. hadn't done very much in America yet. Mm-hmm. They had wanted him for to play the Dane in Miller's Crossing, but there was a a theater uh, performance he was doing, and the schedule conflicted. So mm. they went on without him. Oh boy! But Stormare is great in this movie, uh, for especially for not really having known anything about him, mm-hmm. and he has like. He only has like a handful of lines. Yeah, he doesn't speak much. He, but he's such an intimidating presence the whole time. Yeah, you know, he's just he's got that uh, he's got that quality like with the dude from No Country for Old Men, right? What's yeah, very character? similar character. Just sort of this like force of nature kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> I mean, he represents evil. Yeah. You know, like if Marge represents good, he represents evil, yeah. and then Macy and Buscemi are kind of like float in the middle there. Yeah, yeah. You know, while like Macy doesn't have evil intentions, he he he'll he is do, causing all of this yeah. chaos to happen. Without him, all these people would still be alive. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's the he's the problem. And Carl Buscemi's character really is like one of the more grounded characters because he he's pretty straightforward. Like he he just wants things to go according to plan. He's yeah. trying to do his job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you know not, doesn't want anything crazy to happen he's like trying to just do what they're hired to do yeah. and it's other people's actions and sometimes his own bad choices that you know further what what eventually ends up happening yeah yeah uh yeah i think it's interesting watching him try to navigate this whole whole thing where he's got the chaos of his partner and then the things not working out with you know the kidnapping itself. And well, just yeah. Sort of like it's just like 
nothing is ever going to go smoothly for him. Right. And it's just so, but it's funny that they sort of act like it's supposed to be smooth. But, you know, it's like Jerry keeps screwing things up. He's like, I'm not going to debate here. Like, Well, yeah, he keeps you know? changing the plan and, yeah. and not going along with or can't keep up with what his end of the deal is, mm-hmm. um, which has a ripple effect on yeah. everything. And it's crazy that, like, all this is worth the, like, the four, is this worth the 40 grand he was, you know, promised for this whole thing, this endeavor? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then and again, well, and the original deal was they were going to split it, so it would just have been twenty grand each. Yeah, but simple kidnapping. Jerry complicates everything by asking for a million bucks. Man, yeah. what did Jerry do? <laughs> what well, we don't know—that's the other thing we don't know. What Jerry did to even get in this problem? You don't know any of the backstory to any of these characters, really. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the kind of cool and cool things about this film is yeah. that. You don't know what happened. You know, I mean, you can guess that he had some investments that went bad or, you know, overspending or something that yeah. caused him to go into massive debt. And, and he's in panic mode. Yeah. I mean, when you get to a point where you're going to hire people to kidnap your wife for ransom money from your father-in-law, like, that's pretty desperate. Yeah, yeah. He's got it all figured out, too. Yeah. And, and it's... Like just yeah, I, I I'm so intrigued by that because he like seems like they're probably living a pretty normal pedestrian kind of life. I mean he's and he's you know he's a sales manager at a car dealership. He should be doing okay. So like, what did he get himself mixed up with? Yeah, and then you know he's using what was it Shep is the yeah the mechanic who's yeah. got who knows Buscemi's car knows Carl, uh, and he's supposedly he's the one that uh, connected the two and started things off. Yeah. And like, what was their relationship? Why isn't there Fargo the prequel animated series? Why I want this? I need to see. It's got to be animated. It's got to be animated. That's the only way to do a, a you know, an in canon. Yeah. Additional. It's got to be animated. It's, it's got to be. be like Clone Wars. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's Clone Wars. Um, yeah, and that's a kind of a constant theme of the Coen Brothers movies is, uh, you know, a crime gone wrong yeah. or gone much you know really far off track yeah you know well, you know, raising arizona it's it's uh, stealing a baby and then all the chaos follows after that and yeah. um you know each each of their films they is that that's basically what they're about and it's 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 not told in this like this sort of uh traditional secular kind of thing of if you do crime in America, you get caught or you get killed, and, you, and but if you get caught, you're going to jail, and now you're going to suffer. This is more like just just even getting involved in some very shady circumstances could lead to so, so many unpredictable things, mm-hmm. and so many different characters could come come through and screw everything up or change every everything that's going on. Yeah, and you never would have accounted for it. So it is. It's not like they're like they're not speaking about crime or whatever, but it's just like our tendency to make decisions that maybe um, probably have a moral uh, gray area or, yeah, yeah. or or certainly not desirable. Yeah, um, can certainly lead to just ramifications that affect so many people for so long. And I, you know, I said at the top like that, like I saw this way back in the day, like really enjoyed it. And I think, I mean, I'm being a little dishonest because. I think at the time I, I found it all pretty sad. Like I, I don't even know if I understood, like I, I knew it was a dark comedy, but the whole thing just kind of depressed me. Like yeah. I kind of like not, I didn't like it. I, I, I was sad and I guess I'd say I didn't like it because 
it made me sad. Not because it's not a good movie. Like, right. You know, it's like, I don't want to watch Fargo, you know? Yeah. It's just depressing. Yeah. I feel, I felt the same way the first time I saw it. First couple of times I saw it, I, I strictly viewed it as a drama. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the more I watched it, there's so much humor in there. Yeah. It's, it's plays much funnier to me now. Oh yeah. Same. Um, same. I, I think especially like, once you know what happens, you can yeah. see the humor of the characters in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Buscemi cracks me up. Marge cracks me up. Mm-hmm. And and Macy, like, it just, you know, Jerry is such a quirky character and yeah. that thick, thick accent that yeah. most of them have in the movie. Yeah, but, most of them do. I, yeah, I think Buscemi is the only one with like a sort of a Atlantic, mid-Atlantic accent. Yeah. A sort of a plain and not regional or foreign. Right. And, uh, yeah, the idiosyncrasies of all those characters and the, just the way the, the, the Minnesotans talk and sort of repeat the same things over and over. They just sort of say... It's called Minnesota Nice. That's what Minnesota that, Nice, yeah. right? So it's um, uh, it's it's refreshing to see that on screen because you, you don't see a lot of that kind of character. Yeah, that, it's very... That way. You know, a lot of most movies, I think, take place in New York City. I think that's <laughs> or L.A. The L.A. or New York City. That's most Hollywood most, films. Most movies are in L.A. about cops. <laughs> yeah, that's the general tendency. So all films. movies are lethal weapon. <laughs> 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 movies it's equal true. lethal weapon. Look at every movie that's basically about cops in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but not, but not these uh, these these folks in Minnesota. Yeah, I think. Uh, and it's it, it could have gone to a place of um, cartoonish, like I don't know, like parody or something. But they're they're all these characters are played so earnestly and honestly. Uh, I don't know. There's those performances make it so so grounded. Yeah, that. well, it feels it feels real. I mean, it really brings a sense of reality because I, although it is, I think it's exaggerated. I don't think yeah. that the folks who live up there have that thick of accents oh, everybody you some know some do I, i'm sure many yeah. do yeah but it's it seems a little bit like just a touch for cinematic purposes maybe. exaggerated but, maybe yeah. um but yeah but it feels like a real place it feels like another you know like we've been talking about in some of these episodes small town usa this is a different kind of small town but um you know it doesn't have like main street it's more of that out in the open like wide expanses um but uh yeah, but it's still all the people feel like that same kind of small town mentality. And mm. um, I think that sense of reality is important to keeping, you know, to the to the core of the film. Yeah, it, it's it's funny when they talk about like, oh, they're going up to the Twin Cities. Like, oh, it's like a big deal. You're going into. Yeah. Going you know, to the, the city. The, the, yeah. Like, woo, And, you know, where there's skyscrapers and they go into the Radisson Hotel yeah. and all that. And like, not that they're they're not making a. I don't know that we're seeing people who could be who could be living very simple lives mm-hmm. um, that you know that get tangled up into a lot of different things. And, yeah. Well, and the, the, another thing that this points out is like the 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 Coen brothers will go back to that that mythology of of uh, you know the American dream and the American life, mm-hmm. and and I think that's what um, Jerry's trying to achieve with his family of like this perfect family life and they don't, they are not aware that he has screwed everything up Yeah, and is, I mean, basically like a loser. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And he's trying to hide that with this smiling face and this chipper attitude and, you know, just trying to, you see it so many times in the movie where like something devastating has happened and he, 
just kind of like buries it, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. pushes it behind him and puts on that happy face again. Yeah. Um, you know, and the American dream of people wanting to be happy and people wanting like money is going to make people happy. That's another theme of, of the yeah. Coen brothers. And it's proven to not necessarily be true over and over again. Yeah. It's, it always ends up on the, the wrong side of things for, for people who have that ambition for cash, however they, they earn it or come across it. It always leads to devastation. Yeah. At, at one point or another. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got, we talked briefly about the kind of the duality between light and darkness, which is very clear in this movie. Mm. The, the more I watch this, I, I feel like a there's a kinship between this and No Country for Old Men. Oh, sure. Because Tommy Lee Jones' character in that in No Country and Marge in this feel like they could almost be the same person, mm. aged, mm-hmm. like. Marge will grow like her perspective will when she gets to the age that Tommy Lee Jones is at right that's how she's gonna be right you know kind of veteran seen a lot experienced a lot can stay you know emotionally grounded and not you know get connected to these crimes and not really surprised by anything yeah yeah. Uh, but also um, Javier Bardem's character so similar to Peter Stormare's mm. in this, mm-hmm. like there's that pure evil. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, this is, it, it's balanced visually in the movie by the cinematography, by the always amazing Roger Deakins, uh, which is a very important key element to all of the Coen brothers movies that he's worked on mm-hmm. the visual side of it. And, you know, the, the light versus dark and, you know, these, bright white day exteriors countered by like the the black darkness of uh nighttime with the roadside you know mm-hmm. the scene on the side of the road when it kind of spirals into into a much deeper problem yeah. for uh for Carl and and Gare how bad can things get <laughs> like when All a cop them. pulls you over yeah the best thing to do is shoot him <laughs> yeah and yet <laughs> I like that Gare had no pro- like no issues like yeah. doing that like well yeah yeah all right this is this is how I solve my problem well I mean and that situation was just going to get worse because Buscemi was trying to Carl was trying to you know bribe the cop who yeah. didn't seem like he was going for it yeah and what would have happened next if Gare didn't get rid of the cop right what would have happened right probably would have gotten arrested right and then what. Then they run the plates, figure out the car with the, the whole, with Gene in the trunk. Gene in the trunk. That's right. Gene so in the trunk. The whole thing. Or was... in the back seat, but she was quiet. I think actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But like, but then boy, geez, poor Jerry. And then the whole thing would go back to Jerry, and then uh, that would have been wrapped up. And yeah. Then, then she'd be filing for divorce. Yep. This movie would be over in twenty minutes. But instead, they went the other route, killed the cop, killed the cop, killed while, while trying to, you know, in that great. Hitchcockian scene of, of of Carl trying to drag the body out of the uh, out of the road yeah. before that oncoming the approaching car can see him in the headlights. Um, yeah, just a, a, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And then it's you know there are two witnesses that now also have to be taken out, and yeah. then and then it's now you've got three bodies and the cops on there on to the case, which is obviously what leads to entering uh, Marge into the movie. Yeah. But they just sort of leave everything. They don't even try to 
like fix it no or but what are you gonna up? do and like uh, at true. night in this freezing cold in the snow yeah you know that's true you, they don't have anything to dig up dig a hole and bury the body that's true um there's no fingerprints but there's clearly other evidence there yeah um i mean what what would you do if you were them like right, right you have right. An, a, a car a flipped over car three dead bodies hmm. a police cruiser you know you got to get out of an on-duty you know like police cruiser that's a good point yeah right. so i think like just best to just scram yeah. well, scram man <laughs> next time we do that we'll uh... oh jeez <laughs> we well you're not going to kill the cop this time this time uh but yeah going just going real quick back to to deacon's visuals like yeah. just the way the film is shot and these these long lenses and you know these um stark kind of exteriors it really really uh gets the feeling of loneliness across that emotional isolation mm-hmm. um and i think that's why you like that tone is set through the entire that mood combined with uh with um the carter burwell score mm-hmm. just sets that tone that stays with you mm-hmm. and they made sure like we're not going to shoot any daytime exteriors you know or not daytime but any like bright sunny light uh exteriors there's really there yeah. might be a couple but in any of the major scenes it's like gray overcast mm-hmm. you know kind of that wintry look and feel yeah 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 you're right yeah there's nothing bright and sunny about anything yeah that's not the mood they're setting here no. so <laughs> and there, you know the one other funny thing is that the opening of the movie talks about a um real you know that this is based on real a real true story mm-hmm. <clears throat> which they have gone back and forth over the years and said yeah it is no it isn't yeah, yeah. I, it's, I think it's loosely based on a couple of cases that they heard about right. there's a there's a kidnapping and a ransom uh, in Minnesota that they had heard about and then a story in Connecticut about a guy who put his wife in the wood chipper, wood chipper yeah. um, but I don't think it, it doesn't matter they've done it before like if you watch if you watch the Blood Simple DVD, uh-huh. they introduce like the movie opens with this historian who's played by actor Del Close, oh, who's, wow. who's a fake historian who's talking about like like introducing the movie, and it's hilarious. Oh wow! Highly recommend watching the DVD just for that. Oh wow! But um, you know they're just they're messing with you a little bit. It's okay. I mean it's it's yeah. and if it wasn't, I mean of course something like this has happened. Things it's that, not that unrealistic. I think that's their point. Is like this. This kind of could have happened, or th- you know. And if they're taking elements from real, real cases, you know, yeah, they're just sort of mashing it together. You could imagine some some sleazy low lifes going to kidnap a kidnap a woman because the husband needs some totally. cash. Like, why not? Like, that, yeah, that's be, because when it comes down to it, it's like, what do you? What would you do for the money you need? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, I can kind of see that. I could see real people doing this. And yeah, then it's totally. Gonna, and then it goes awry. Well, and and the Coen Brothers movies they go back and forth from from when when they feel like they're in reality, and this is definitely one that feels like this is in the real world. Oh, okay, this has or could happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Hudsucker Proxy is much more of almost like a fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like an like an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but blood simple and raising arizona i would sort of put in that hudsucker realm yeah i was gonna say that, that that's probably a little more along that line right kind of zany a little zany yeah. little little surreal at times in yeah. a sense just a little different. like the physics of 
physics don't exist the same in that reality. Yeah. You know, well, just like the way they tell the narrative, you know, just sort of the fantasy sequences and raising Arizona and all that. Like they're, yeah, it's not, it's not all quite, uh, realistic. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's very much like inside a person's brain. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. Or like, you know what I mean? Almost like dreamlike a little bit. Too, yeah. Because but... I think Nicolas Cage like narrates his fantasies about being a father or whatever. Like, and and then the other fantasies of the, <coughs> like the, the family being torn apart or over the kidnapping and all yeah. that. So it's just, there's just that other quality to it. Yeah. Um, like, oh, brother, where art thou? It's not, that's not a true story. It's a little, it's a little hyper or hyped yes, up yeah. a little hyper realistic i would of. put it in the fargo realm i'd put blood simple um miller's crossing i'm not sure about barton fink barton fink i i could put in either one mm. i would have probably put it more in the, the hudsucker one hudsucker yeah realm. Yeah. yeah 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 is that the point i forget i yeah well and you know the that's the thing about this movie in particular. The Coen brothers have basically two kinds of movies. They're like heavy dramas Mm -hmm. and they're kind of zany comedies, um, which are both great in their own respects. But Fargo is the one to me. It's like, could be the perfect Coen brothers movie because it rides the line right in the middle. And depending on the scene, it like dips a toe in one side and dips a toe in the other, or within the same scene can do both. Yeah. Um, It's, this is really like, I used to think of it as like their top dramatic movie and Lebowski as the top com- comedic movie. Mm, yeah. Um, but I, I don't know, like the more I watch this, the more the funnier I think that it is, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it does like it, it can, it achieves both, both sides of, of the fence. Mm-hmm. Mm. Would you concur with that or mm. do you dispute it? Um, what do you think? I don't know. Well, you, like what's a serious man? Is that a dark comedy as mm. well? Like yeah, yeah. But it's so like, ugh, like yeah. it's so heavy. Like it seems like there's a lot of it. It's heavy it's, and slow moving, but it's and it's got some heavy dramatic elements yeah. and just. But it's it is like, but it is sort of this Fargo ish of like, these are just things that happen to these people mm-hmm. without a lot of. It's got like that added neuroses, I guess, of yeah. the main character. But it's just a little, I don't know. Uh, that's well. That's another. I, I I consider that like kind of one of their more experimental ones too. Like yeah. Lewin Davis. It's it's just like they're doing. You know, they did it right after No Country, mm-hmm. so they've got their Oscar and they've done their big big movie. Mm-hmm. And this is a much smaller movie that they can just kind of do whatever they want. They're kind of messing not messing around, but just doing what they want. Yeah. Well, they did Burn After Reading in between. Um, yeah, and Burn After Reading, which yeah. is a little. more They were like right at the, almost at the same time. I guess so. Well, they came out. Different years, but probably. Oh, did they? Okay. I remember. I think I saw them like together, basically. So. Yeah, probably. I love Burn After Reading. That's another one that that has grown on me. I seen it, and I, honest to goodness, I don't remember if, uh, a thing about it. We should watch it. We yeah. should uh, screen it here at the studio let's, uh, uh, one night. Let's get let's get some let's get the film reels yeah. sent over. Always on film. Always on film. Hashtag watch, film. We don't have digital projectors in the in our theaters. No, don't believe in them. No, can't do it. <laughs> and so I started in this business as a projectionist. <laughs> and that's how I'll die. And I'll die as a projectionist. <laughs> I will change those those reels. Uh, you know, I'll run back there to the booth, change the reel, and come back and sit with you and watch it. I really like their True Grit remake, if I'm going to be honest. I really enjoyed the hell out I of I need that. to watch it again because I 
didn't love it. Oh. Um, I think it was another, I may have watched it too late at night and may have, oh. you know, not had the energy for it. But Oh, man. Bridges is so good in that. Well, Bridges is another actor that, that is always a win for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, like so many of them. Bridges. Brolin. Damon. <laughs> Steinfeld. Uh, another thing I love about this movie, that the title of the movie is Fargo, yet so little happens in Fargo. Mm-hmm. Like, really, the only only the opening scene where he hires he hires them, they're at a bar in Fargo. Yeah. That's it. That's it. None of the action's there. Yeah. This isn't about people from Fargo. The, the rest is either in Brainerd or up at the, the lake or, yeah. where you know, wherever, the on the road. Cities. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but not in Fargo. That's such a perfect one word title, yeah. Fargo. Is it? Do you it's think like, maybe it's kind of like a little bit mocking Chinatown? I think so, right? Isn't yeah. It's just sort of like, yeah, I think so. Like where it all, like Chinatown, it, it all happens, like, or, or at least it all concludes there. Yeah. Um, and, and the history of Jake's relationship with Chinatown factors into what happens in the movie. But yeah. um, this is just like, why is it called Fargo? Why is it Fargo? They just met there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, does Fargo represent? Does the the name just represent the the wholesomeness of these Midwestern yeah. people? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, yeah, it's supposed to be. Everyone's heard of Fargo. That's kind of their their humor, though. Yeah, yeah. They're, like you ask questions, and maybe there isn't an answer. They're messing around with you. Yeah, yeah. Mind games by the Coen Brothers. Oh, tell me about it. Um, like I said, love the Car- the Carter Burwell score here. It's very different. He also did Raising Arizona, and that's mm-hmm. another quirky score. Yeah. Um, this was he based a lot of the music on uh, Norwegian like folk songs mm-hmm. that he kind of adapted into to set the tone to this. Oh, so I see. yeah, I like it's it. it's cool to uh, it's always nice to have a score that stands out and is a little different than just you know standard music yeah for the you know yeah um and i think carter burwell is someone who can who has a range of what kind of music he can do mm. unlike someone like i don't know john williams who does the same thing every movie <laughs> let him do his thing i know it's great but uh harry potter and home alone are the same score so <laughs> <laughs> home alone's not quite it's the same it's, well i guess it's, a home it's alone. listen to him they're so the score is so similar yeah um, anyway, but but they're, <laughs> you know they're kid movies with kids in them. It's a kid. They're both kids. kids yeah, movies. so you, both, yeah, that's the it's got that light music. tone. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's trying sure. to convey something. Yeah, this is not as serious as as it all is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, he doesn't okay. sound like. <laughs> so fuck John Williams. It's fuck John Williams. Yes. <laughs> the greatest composer. Rotten hell. Hashtag rotten hell. John Williams. <laughs> You've done nothing. Send for it cinema. out. Set it out. Yeah. <laughs> Jaws was your last good score, guy. Now get out of here. You haven't done anything good since Jaws. Like, pick up that red phone. Get some Philippe. Get John Williams on the phone. No, don't Philippe's do our that. intern Philippe. this week. Philippe, go get a sandwich. <laughs> Hang out. And John Williams. Don't no. Don't bother Mr. Williams. Um, we talked about the Minnesota accents and Minnesota nice. They had a couple of dialect coaches. Uh, sure. Who you know really had to work with them to get that. I mean. Oh, accents yeah? are accents are hard for actors, oh, and, yeah? and oh, yeah. this is such a strong one that I imagine this was really tricky to get it, and, and it feels right. Like it doesn't. Uh, no, I love. We've talked about this before about 
when you can when I feel like an actor is acting. Yeah. And this I don't get from any of these characters. No. Uh, it's like they feel like they they are these characters. Mm-hmm. Like that's not William H Macy. That's that's Jerry. That's, that's Jerry. You know that's not Buscemi. Although he's similar to other characters he's played. But that's Carl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and certainly with Marge. So. Um. I'm sure that was actually one of the uh, the um, dialect coaches was one of the prostitutes that oh really Carl and Gare sleeps with oh that's funny <laughs> those uh, yeah that scene with Marge and the two of them yeah. is really funny I like that yeah that was a... so many yeah. like strong performances by the you know the supporting cast mm-hmm. some of which are, are name actors and some aren't yeah you know like them and Shep and and uh, and Wade Gustafson and, oh yeah and. You know, it was, uh, Harv Presnell was a great actor. It was, uh, I think the next time I saw him after this was maybe Private Ryan. Oh, that could He's be. He's got a, a brief role in the beginning of the movie sure. there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and uh, just, you know, down to Scotty, the kid, you know, his, uh, Jerry's son, oh, Gene. Yeah. Scotty and Gene. Scotty and Gene. Yeah. Scotty, Scotty and Gene have nothing to worry about. Yeah. Harv <laughs> warns him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I also really like how there's no big, like you often find in police movies, there's that big moment of the big reveal where they crack the case, like, right. like the big piece of evidence. And, and in this, it's just like, it's a tip that <laughs> comes to one of the other police officers yeah. from the bartender at a bar that Carl was hanging out at yeah. and he was opening his big yap yapper and talking about you know or hinting at what he was doing and it just kind of stuck with the bartender yeah and uh who reported it and that's how it ends up getting to marge there's no like big piece of evidence that she finds and yeah. or this you know literally like bumping into one of them and yeah, yeah. they don't cross paths at all she has no idea who these people would be what they look like oh that's right yeah you know she gets a tip about them being at a cabin up at the lake yeah and then she does a little rounder and sees the car she's and, looking for and gets there at the exact, exact right time <laughs> yeah yeah couldn't have for been her any... purpose i guess it's the right time yeah but for uh, Carl, he poor Carl. would have appreciated it about twenty minutes earlier, probably. <laughs> and and poor uh, Jerry's wife. Uh, yeah, maybe an, a couple hours before that. Yeah, like all these side deaths, like yeah. like Gene happens off camera. Spoiler alert! Mm-hmm. You know when Carl gets back to the cabin, Gare's just killed her mm-hmm. because she was, you know, screaming she's or crying sh- or she's shrieking. Yeah, <laughs> shrieking. And- and you just oh like she's dead. The um, parking lot attendants who oh, are yeah. killed. Like, there's no reason for that. It's just bodies all all along the way. Everyone getting killed. Yeah, that's this is. It made me sad. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's sad. I mean, ultimately for Jerry, you know, all this has unraveled, and he's caused all this chaos, and now yeah. he's going to spend, you know, his life in jail. Yeah. And then Scotty, who's the innocent victim, the. I guess surviving innocent victim to this whole thing. Yeah. His life is fucked. Oh my god! What's what's Scotty gonna do? Lost his parents and his grandfather. grandfather. Oh my god! I'm sure I could assume he is due for a major inheritance, but like psychologically, he's fucked. Yeah, that's crazy. Imagine like your dad co- like coordinated a kidnapping of your mom. Yeah, and your mom died because yeah. <laughs> like oh my god. Yeah, like crazy. Yeah, no thanks. Um. Oh, also. Uh, Norm, who is Marge's husband. 
Norm. Great small, um, great small role, but memorable and John Carroll Lynch. Yeah, John Carroll Lynch, who's been in so many great performances yeah. since then. And yeah, yeah. Was he on The Walking Dead? He was on The Walking Dead for a bit. He could have been. He I, was. I remember it now. He was. But, yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> um, but yeah, great performance by him. Um, you know, I love whatever they're. I've, I've read about like a potential backstory for him and Marge that they were both on the forest. They fell in love and, you know, realized it'd be better if both of them were in cops. So he got into painting and, mm-hmm. you know, now he's got uh, on the three cent stamp. He's three got an image stamp. there. He's got so. his mallard on the yeah. three cent stamp. <laughs> and like that is the most important, not the most important, but that's like the major issue in his life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's she's true. dealing with these crazy, this crazy case and, yeah. and she comes home and, and that's what they talk about. They and, just get into bed and, and snuggle. And yeah. it's just like, he has no idea of the world around him either. Yeah. <laughs> like not a clue, but not a care about it either. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, and they're just getting ready for that baby to come. There's two more months till she's, you know, she's doing two months. It's going to pop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but great, great role there. So this movie, you know, within the realm of Hollywood, I think had a had a pretty significant impact, mm-hmm. um, especially for you know, of, again, following up that Pulp Fiction indie indie film movement. I think this was another like major movie that came out that was, you know, launched these actors' careers. Um, you know, Buscemi and Macy certainly showed they could handle bigger roles and and be in higher profile movies. Um, and Francis as well. Um, you know, the, the, this movie kind of came into the vernacular. Like, there's terms in it, like like you betcha and don't you know that like people started saying as more of like uh, in common language. Yeah. Because of this movie, I mean, not that they didn't say that before, but because of the accents and how kind of popular this movie got. Yeah. After, like, it was a slow roll. Yeah. But after by like 97 people were like saying that, you know. You betcha. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. You I huh, I didn't think of that. It kind of seeped into the culture. Mhm. Um Siskel and Ebert loved this movie. Critics, I mean, this was like kind of hands down people were were all over this movie. Mm-hmm. Um critically. And again, it wasn't so much it did well financially, but it wasn't like, you know, it's not Armageddon. It wasn't it Independence want, Day. It wanted to be too. You can tell. <laughs> well, and it's it's smart that it came out. You know, it was released in what, March eighth, ninety six. So right before, as we covered on Independence Day, back in year one, mm-hmm. um, you know, huge blockbuster movies that summer of ninety six with Twister and Mission Impossible and Independence Day and The Rock. And had this movie come out like later that summer or maybe even in September. I don't think it would have hit as well. Mm. I think yeah. it would have kind of just kind of gotten a little overshadowed. Yeah, but yeah. because it came out right before, mm-hmm. um, was was great smart move on on the marketing side of it. Yeah, no, you're right. I think you're right. It, that's the only window it could survive in. Yeah, and the the, the imagery on the poster kind of stood out too. It was like, ah, <laughs> what? It's like a needle point, right? <laughs> well, that was. Or is that just later? I think that was... I thought that was later. I just remember the poster being oh. like the body in the snow with the car upside down. Oh, okay. Um, and then they do but the it's a... You know, it kind of like jumps out at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what is... What's the story here? I hate... I hate posters that are faces... Just faces. Yeah. Which is in the 2000s what like 
it's everything every, started it's every becoming poster. like Tom Cruise's face and you know whoever's Matt Damon's face yeah. and um, you know I, I liked the those those Drew Struzan posters which were those hand-drawn, a lot going on in it, telling you kind of the story of the movie. But this was, even though it's this is one image, like, from the movie, basically, mm-hmm. I think you get, like, you get the vibe of the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, at least it, it's it's one entry point, you know? Yeah. Strange murder, strange death, cars, snow. Yeah. Fargo? All this is <laughs> going on in Fargo, huh? <laughs> Um, the movie did uh, very well awards wise. Mm-hmm. It won the Palme d'Or at the uh, at the Cannes Film Festival. Good job. Uh, many Golden Globe and and you know uh, BAFTA and Oscar nominations. It took home two. Uh, Francis won Best Actress. Uh, it won the Coen Brothers won Best Screenplay. It was nominated for uh, Best. Uh, Supporting actor for Macy, mm-hmm. uh, best picture, best director, best cinematography, and best editing. Which is funny that the editor not this is a little. I don't know how many people know this, but a lot of people do. Uh, the editor nominated was Roderick Jane, mm-hmm. which is just a pseudonym for the Coen Brothers. For them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder what would have happened if Roderick Jane won. If so, they would have had somebody else go somebody up there. Somebody was. They were going to get. Uh, I read this. I want to say they wanted to get like Albert Finney to go up or something oh like that. Oh my god, that, that would or... be amazing! No, that can't be right. Somebody, uh, I don't know, but <clears throat> they had they had a plan in place. Yeah. someone was going to go up and read something, but didn't have to do it. Yeah, the um, so Siskel and Ebert loved it. Obviously, they were like kind of like the leaders of the critics at the time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, through the eighties and nineties. Yeah, or at least they were the most uh, public critics. Uh, but they ranked it uh, the best the best film of '96, and they ended up putting it as number four of the 1990s. Hmm. So that's pretty big. Pretty big. Lot of respect for a little movie that could. Um, it ended up cre- spawning a uh, FX television series in 2014. Which have you seen that show? I saw the first two seasons. Yeah, I saw the. I only saw the first season, which is. You know, loosely based on this movie, it's not a remake of the movie, although there are clearly characters inspired by the movie. Yeah, a lot of parallel. And then supposedly it takes the Oliver Platt's character, mm-hmm. finds the money that Buscemi carries. Yes, yeah. So like that's where he made his fortune and his business. That's the only direct connection yeah. to between like, the show and the movie like it's not a reference it's like no this is actually like you know yeah it's in the same universe whatever. yeah so which i forgot about but because i was even rewatching the movie i'm like hey i thought isn't this i thought this was just from the show but is it but i guess when i watch the show i'm like i don't know I, but i really enjoyed it the second season's a little different it takes it's a pre it takes place in the seventies. Yeah, I I want to see it, and it's people pretty good. People love the second season. It's really I think it's it's it might be better than the first, honestly. Uh, Just more engaging, more, and it, it's a little different. That's a, that's the vibe that I got from people. But, but still, the themes are all there. Yeah, <laughs> like there's good people who try to do good and end up doing bad, and then make things worse. And yeah. then there's bad people who absolutely don't care and will continue to make things mm-hmm. worse. And then there's a little, there's some just lots of gray area, um, but then there it is still couched with like some heroic, you know, heroic characters. Yeah, uh, in it. Yeah, uh, I uh, and they're doing. I think they're starting season four now. Season four is going to come out soon. I think. Okay. Or, or, yeah, they're or they're shooting it. it or... Yeah, something. 
Um, yeah, so guys, if you haven't checked that out, check out uh, interesting. that series. I think you can see it on Hulu, the first I three. believe so, yeah. So if you have Hulu.com, if you have a subscription to Hulu.com, <laughs> head on over, type it in, type in Fargo. Three seasons right in there for you. That's F-A-R, no space, G-O. <laughs> Why did you say no space? <laughs> they knew that. That's the implicit. No dashes, no spaces. <laughs> Just Fargo. <laughs> F-A-R, no space, G-O. I know you're it's, thinking there's a space between it's far and go, go. <laughs> but it's one word. Uh, it was released on March 8th, 96, as we said. Uh, it had a, the, the opening weekend wasn't that huge. It was $730,000, but it was only on like 36 screens or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so technically, opening weekend, it opened at number 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, right between or right behind City Hall, which was in week four. Okay. Uh, also opening that weekend was The Birdcage and Homeward Bound 2. Hey. That is a top 10 movie for you, isn't it? Homeward Bound 2. Absolutely. Yeah. Top 10 of 96. Also mm-hmm. top 10 of life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it ended up with a uh, domestic run of uh, about 24 million. Yeah. Um, so, you know, basically triple the, the budget. And then worldwide, I, I saw a couple of different numbers. I saw fifty-one million, and then I saw sixty million. Yeah, so I saw some, sixty somewhere in that zone, but really successful um, for everyone involved. And uh, and I think it's done really well on home video since then. Yeah. Oh God, I mean, it's it became a, uh, I'm sure a rent a big rental movie, big rental, big home video film. Well, and I think was it the DVD or the one of the VHSs that came out. Um, had like a snow, a Fargo snow globe with it. Oh, okay. that was a cool little. Oh, okay. Like they were doing that, like usual. It, it must have been, uh, I think, Gramercy who produced. Is it Gramercy that produces? Yeah. Um, they were on some of their home videos. Like the Usual Suspects came out with like a cool like Zippo lighter and oh, stuff, neat. and you know, things you need to have. Sure. Collectibles. Things you need to have. Um, it was number 75 of 1996. Obviously, that was a big money year, so those are going to take up the top spots. But it ended up behind uh, Scream and ahead of The English Patient. Huh. That's okay. Now, Scream would go on in 97 to rake in a lot more money, but it because it came out so late in 96 that at the time of December 31st, it was still way down there. Okay. Okay. So, Okay. Okay. <laughs> Do you disagree with that? No, I. Because <laughs> like I thought you take see the way we've I've always considered box office like even if the movie is released December thirtieth, whatever at may, movie makes by the time it goes out, that's the the, the domestic yeah, gross of that. I'm going year. off of uh of uh this was on the numbers. The numbers, yeah. yeah. Which I yeah. Whether well, I I think they totaled it out at like where things stood at the end of the year. Gotcha. Because Scream definitely made a lot more money. Of course, so. yeah. Because if you want, but if you want to talk about where it is with movies that were released in that year mm-hmm. and made all the money and then and add up all that money, right? Uh, what you call it? Fargo goes up a little bit up to the sixties. Okay. Think. Um, but yeah. Good for Fargo. Yeah. Um, it's also, as far as just strictly the Coen Brothers movies go and box office-wise, it comes in at number eight. Eight. Yeah, so kind of right in the middle of the pack there. Um, eight of 18. Yeah, yeah. I guess the True Grit and No Country are 
Oof. the I think the top two. That's so. got to be right. Yeah. Ugh. True grit. Um, and like I said, to me, this is this is really the perfect Cohen film. Um, mm-hmm. I I I do put Lebowski. I enjoy Lebowski a little bit more, mm-hmm. so I would put this you know Lebowski first. But this is a super close second. It's really like kind of neck and neck, pretty much for me. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Um, very rewatchable. I'm gonna put it top four mm-hmm. for me of the ones you've seen. Of the one, okay, stop. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I I probably should see more. I'm gonna see more. You will. Before, I'll before, make that happen. Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna comment further on where I rank Fargo <laughs> with my Coen Brothers filmography. Um, and you can't I, make me. I think you'd find hard pressed to find anyone who really has a big problem with this movie. Right. Um, it's it's solid all the way around. Uh, if you have not watched it, give it another shot. It's a good uh, Saturday night movie. You know. Yeah. It's a quick one too. Yeah. Yeah. It's like ninety minutes. Yeah. It's perfect length. Perfect length of a film. Yeah. <laughs> Anything over ninety ninety four, I'm done. Yeah. I'm so exhausted. I just fast forward whatever time goes past ninety. So if it's two hours, I just fast forward random thirty minutes to <laughs> make it ninety. That's a that's a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> never thought of that. Um, uh, yeah. So Fargo, guys, I'm gonna give it. Uh, you know, our new rating system. Ooh, yeah. Did we introduce the, this yet? We I think we talked about it last time. The Jack Burtons. We uh, Burtons. we back in in the in the early years of the show. We often talked about our love for Kurt Russell, so uh, we are going to call our rating system uh, the Jack Burton, the mm-hmm. Jack Burton, uh, the Jack effect. Burton scale, the Jack Burton scale. Yeah, yeah, on the um, Jack Burton scale. I'm going to give this five out of five Jack Burtons. Five out of five Jack yeah. Burtons. Wow, this is one of your top films. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going go with a four and a half Jack Burtons. Four four point like, five Jack Burtons. I'm like, writing that down, like okay. they would do on Star Search. Okay. For, yeah, because we would have quarters, halves, three quarter stars. Oh, and we said or last Burtons. time, too, we based it out of 13 Jack Burtons. Oh, wait. So let's That's redo right. this. Hang on. So, I'm going to give it 13 out of 13. Oh, jeez. Wow. I think mine ends up being nine. It's like 12 and change, like 12 point, you know. Okay. 12.2, 12.3. That's pretty good. Yeah. There's, um, you know, I, I, there's not a flaw in the movie to me. So, okay. and, and rare is the perfect movie. I think, I think, uh, this is pretty close. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always going to add my, uh, emotional, um, mm-hmm. bias to any film rating. So because this movie made me sad years ago, gets dinged. It loses, <laughs> it loses less than a point. Though. It <laughs> yeah. loses less than one Jack Burton. I can't so. take off a whole Jack Burton, there, but. <laughs> But you made me sad, so you are not my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of sad, I just do want to mention um, real quick. I didn't want to say it at the top of the show, but oh. uh, you know, at the time we are recording this, we've lost a couple of uh, of actors yeah. that uh, were, you know, a big part of uh, this time period that we cover. Mm-hmm. Um, number one would be Terry Jones from Terry Monty Jones. Python. Yes, very sad to lose him. He'd been sick for for years. Um, so now it's two of the Python that are that are gone. Yeah. But um, uh, so we will we will miss him, and we will definitely be covering Monty Python somewhere along the way here. Mm-hmm. Not sure which one we want to do first. 
Um, but we also lost uh, also the Terry Jones documentaries that he directed and narrated. Mm-hmm. Hilarious and educational. Oh. Highly recommend them. Oh, okay. Um, so look those up and see if I don't think they're streaming anymore. They were on Netflix for a while, but um, go to your local video store. Okay. Whether it's Vidiots or Videotech. <laughs> one or the other or movies one or, or camel video or, or whatever else or montage video montage video or electric city video oh that's like that's a name yeah i'd go there <laughs> um, but we also lost a, a character actor named jack kehoe mm. who was in the sting he's in the untouchables young guns 2 uh, so many just a ton of movies uh, serpico mm. um great character actor uh, from the 70s and 80s um, who you know hadn't, hadn't seen him for a while but passed away memorable roles we'll uh, get to obviously get to some of those films as well absolutely so um, but yeah did, didn't want to end on a, on a super sad note but, but we did but we did <laughs> let's bring it back up here as we as we wrap it up speaking of sad <laughs> here's some people who died we're not sad though no I mean it's, you know life goes on yeah uh, we honor these these people for the careers they had yep. the joy they bring uh, bring to audiences and uh, uh, all around the world yeah. so you know th- thank goodness we have them while we did yeah and we always we have their movies to, to keep them in our hearts and our minds so always and forever yes R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. <laughs> We are going to have a, we've, we've set our lineup for March and April They're coming your Get way ready. soon guys You're going to love this It's going to be a huge surprise Yeah Or uh, I'm not going to spoil it Yeah But we've got <laughs> Definitely for the end of March and April we got something special planned it's Very special um, And then there's another special day In the month of March Ooh. I won't give it away But look at your calendars Here it comes I might have to get uh, One of our other partners on the on In the room Get them on we'll, the line. We'll see. You have an extension list. You can, I do. Yeah. Just give them a call um, <laughs> on the internal phone system. <laughs> but uh, thank you to our friends who help us every episode. Uh, E.K. Wimmer with the theme song. Mm-hmm. Check out his podcast, Laser Graves. A lot of fun. Very crazy movies he's covering. They're insane, but uh, and only he could do it in justice. So. <laughs> uh, and Curtis Moore for the poster every week. Thank you to him. Thank you, Curtis. And uh, I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get in the uh, jet and uh, go to my mansion. Okay. Are you gonna stay in the Golden Tower for a minute, and then I'm gonna maybe head to Subway, get a chicken sandwich, get that sandwich man, and yeah, <laughs> I could really go for one. It's that or a BK broiler. One. <laughs> a one BK of broiler. <laughs> Yum. Right off the grill. Uh, yeah, no. Let's uh, let's head out of here. I'm all right, we're gonna. Great. All right, guys, take care. We will be back in a couple of weeks. And before you know it, our next great episode of Reconsumation. Bye now. <laughs>